to RunchRxBeat, the billing system for SaaS and subscription commerce startups that believe in taking the long cut. I'm your host, Akash Sharma. So read the mind of unuttered words, and you'll know why most conversations die. Unpleasant emotions of possible failures that, that haunt exchanges with teammates and friends make sure that these conversations never see the light of the day. But as we all know, a conversation is the UI of our ability to pay attention and care about the hopes of others. Building a business that produces value for its customers and for the teams behind it largely relies on that very ability. If the customer success practice underscores a lot of discussions in the SaaS world today, it's because it is an ideal way to think and act on the right conversations and thus realize the ability that businesses have to make the right kind of change happen. Today's guest hails from a team that's attempting to weave the best of this ability, not just in their everyday tasks, but even more ardently into the product itself. In today's show, we'll speak with David Apple, the director of customer success at Typeform, a startup that is reimagining the most fundamental interface between screens and humans. And before joining Typeform, David worked as a mechanical engineer in London and Berlin, started and sold his own business, and tried getting into FC Barcelona. In this episode, we talk about the magic of small talk. What does it really mean to be customer obsessed? How did the practice of customer success get its start at Typeform in an unlikely fashion? What are the five pillars of customer success? How are tough decisions made at Typeform? The values that they stick to? And how Typeform thinks about being in the same space as SurveyMonkey and Wufu and other competitors? Plus, we'll learn what being proactive really entails the most stupendous events in David's life and why did he apply for a position at FC Barcelona? Let's get on with the show. Hello, David. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Just just uh, wanted to pick your brain on a lot of things. <laughs> on <laughs> Great. How, how, how you think on how things uh, happen in Typeform and where we had it uh, in, in in this industry. So yeah, really excited about the conversation. Yes. Great. Me too. Thanks. Cool. So to to start with. Uh, I would want to go back, as uh, we usually do, and the, the question. So, the you, you've spent eight years as a mechanical engineer, mm-hmm. working in Berlin and London. 
So it would be great if you could go back to the moment then it was made clear to you that you had to move on to something else. Sure. Um, I think the reason I, I got a little bit tired of working as a, as a mechanical engineer, I was designing buildings, um, is that for a while I was learning a lot, uh, but at some point, even though it was interesting stuff, it became pretty repetitive. And, uh, and I wanted to be more on the business side. Uh, I, I was inspired seeing our managing director and the stuff that he got to work on, and I wanted to work on similar stuff. So I decided uh, the best way to put myself in a position to, to have that opportunity is to get an MBA. So I went off and, and got an MBA, actually sponsored by one of the engineering firms I work for. Okay. And, uh, and that was what allowed me to pivot into um, more managerial type roles or business type roles. And mm-hmm. uh, I I pivoted into tech. Right. So going back a little, what was this exactly that you saw in the way this managing director worked that you you thought was lacking in what you were doing? Well, uh, he got to do all the fun stuff. (laughs) He he was the one uh, negotiating the deals with the customers. Uh, He managed the team. Uh, he was doing. He, basically, he wasn't doing the detail. He was doing more the the high level, the big picture stuff. That that Im- my impression was is what really mattered. And uh, and he left the detail to people like me. Ah, okay, okay. So big picture. Big picture reminds me of uh, dreams and your mm-hmm. your move, your decision. It seems like a logical extension to what you were thinking back then. And yeah. it, but but it doesn't speak for the dreams that you might have had as a kid. So, what what do you think you were dreaming of becoming when you were young? Good question. Um, I, I I don't really remember um, what what I wanted to be to be honest. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but I think uh, you know, of course, like a star athlete or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and my dream has evolved. Uh, I still don't know what I want to be, <laughs> but but somehow I feel like I'm getting there. So that's I'm headed in the right direction. Um, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. So well, what are the cues that, or what are the hints that that tell you that you're getting there? Um, so I, I'm a little bit of a dork in that I, I make uh, a one year, three year, five year plan for myself. Every year, so every year I update I, and I tell myself, "What do I want to achieve this year?" Uh-huh. And then, "Where do I want to see myself in three years?" And "Where do I want to see myself in five years?" So it, it helps me put perspective and, and put me into kind of the, you know, instead of just letting the river take me wherever it takes me, you know, uh-huh. uh, to actually guide myself in the direction I want to go. So that's what made me realize that, uh, you know, I wanted to get an MBA because not necessarily in one year I was going to make everything change. Uh-huh. But I felt like three years or five years down the line, I wanted to be in a position where uh, I would have that type of responsibility and the tools that I needed to get there are an MBA. So uh, it's kind of putting myself in a position where uh, I have the tools to take uh, advantage of the opportunities that hopefully will present themselves in the future. Mm, right. So there's this uh, school of thought that says uh, if you want to learn something, you just start doing it or you join someone who's doing it and there's there's a lot of talk on how valuable MBA ends up 
as education compared to what you'd get when you're working. So mm -hmm. do you think that, that that actually makes a difference? Do I think that having an MBA makes a difference? Yes, compared to just jumping in, into something. Good question. I, I, I get that question a lot because I met a lot of people who were debating whether or not to do an MBA. Yeah. Um, I think I think the answer is different for different people. Mm -hmm. So um, an MBA is really expensive, so there needs to be an ROI, right? Uh, re return on investment. So I think if, if if you're doing an MBA because you want to start your own business, uh -huh. I think you'd be much better. It, it would be a much better investment to just buy the right books, speak to a few people who've done their MBA, buy the right books that they recommend, and uh, that'll save you probably like $100,000, <laughs> and you can invest that money in, in your business. If, on the other hand, you're you know working your way up the ladder in a corporation, uh, or you want to make a career change or pivot, as, as I did, I, and I didn't have the skills to, to, to pivot, then, uh, then it can be the right thing that gives you uh, that knowledge that allows mm -hmm. you to, to apply for a different type of role than the one you've had up until then. So I, th I think it depends on the profile. Right, right. Okay, so your your Twitter bio says you are customer obsessed. Mm -hmm. how, how does that affect the choices that you make throughout the day at work? Um, basically, I, I what I mean by that is I I I'm, I try to be very empathic. Uh, or I guess I am naturally very empathic, uh -huh. and uh, and I'm always trying to put myself in the customer's shoes. So uh, I, I'm day to day, what I'm doing is trying to make our customers happy. The way if I were a customer, the way I'd like to be treated. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. So when did you realize that the the, the importance of this thinking was it learned growing up or through? experiences that you've had in your previous work, line of work? Um, I, I guess in, in every role I had, I, I evolved towards the customer, even though I studied mechanical engineering, which is kind of as far as you get from the, from the customer. <laughs> um, you know, in my first role, I was, I was doing the uh, tendering and pricing for an engineering firm. So I was okay. uh, figuring out how much it would cost to do one of our projects. Okay. And to do that, I had to visit the site and speak with the customers. And I always really enjoyed that. And the the sales team saw that I was good at that. So they started bringing me along more and more often. And okay. uh, and eventually, the, the directors saw that I was good at that. And they put me in a business development uh, role. So trying to launch a new product to the market. And um, so I, I didn't actually ever have a pure sales role uh, until I until after my MBA. Mm -hmm. But in... Well, I had I had that customer that that uh, engagement with the customer that I really enjoyed, and uh, and I think also because I didn't have a sales quota, it wasn't at all stressful. Okay. It was just relationships, and I and I really enjoyed that. Cool. So, uh, you mentioned you were good at conversations, and uh, that's what got you into business development and, and sales, and now you're doing customer success. Mm -hmm. So, could you tell us a bit about how conversations? begin for you? Sure. Um, I think the again, it, it, it starts with empathy. So it's trying to understand um, where the other person's coming from. So 
I'm going to take it from the example of I work for a company and I'm speaking to someone who's either interested in using our service or, or something like that. I think the first step is, well, first of all, the first step for me is always small talk. I just mm-hmm. like to know who the person is, where they're from, what they like, stuff like that, just to, to build a personal rapport and hopefully a certain level of trust. Mm-hmm. Trying to find things that we like in common so that we can talk about it next time we speak. Right. Um, and, and again, that builds trust. Uh, then I try to understand like what their situation is, mm-hmm. uh, why they're why they're potentially interested in our tool or service. Um, and maybe try to identify ways to that our service could help them in, in ways that they hadn't even thought of. So you know what other problems they have, and and maybe there's other ways that our our solution can help them than what mm-hmm. they have initially. Okay. And uh, and then like the, the way I feel like. Um, a, a deal should be closed with, if we're looking at sales, or a, an expansion should be achieved if we're talking about you know account management, is is very naturally because you've spoken to the person, they trust you, you've understood their problem, and you've shown mm-hmm. them how the solution, how your solution uh, can solve their problem. Mm-hmm. So if that goes well, then then you don't even have to re- even really have to ask to to close the deal. You don't have to. It just happens kind of. Uh, as as part of that process. Okay. Okay. All right. So you mentioned small talk, and then I as an I, I I'm bad at it. I, I'm 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 just so when you mentioned small talk and, <laughs> and 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 the idea of getting in a conversation with someone, you mm-hmm. are probably either speaking to for the first time or you know that you're going to discuss something else eventually. So the talks about the weather or. I don't know, mm-hmm. Usain Bolt, just don't arise on their own, right? They, they don't happen. So mm-hmm. for people, pe- people like me who are not, 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 who don't buy the value of small talk right away, uh, mm-hmm. I know it's important. What would you tell them? That's a really good question. And, and the truth is, I don't know what to, t- what to tell them. <laughs> but um, I think it's it, for me. It's it's really genuinely because I enjoy it. It's not a strategy. It's not you know. It's it's because I like to. For example, I would I would tell you that uh, you know I went I went to India for two weeks for a friend's wedding, and I went to these different cities, and I enjoyed oh. this type of food, and and it builds a rapport, and it, and it, you know, uh, and I would ask you know, I, I just enjoy sharing. Uh, so it's it's really something that I enjoy rather than something that I'm doing with an end goal in mind of something. I realize, taking a step back, mm-hmm. that that the small talk builds trust and a relationship, but I'm not doing it because uh, as a strategy to build trust and relationship. And, and I think that's why it works, because it's just something I enjoy doing rather than something I'm programmatically doing. <laughs> okay. okay. If that makes sense. It, it does. I know it'll take some time for me to jump on the other side, but yeah, it's a good but start. I'll- our, our small talk. Before, I, I enjoyed our small talk before our call, so I, I, I wouldn't say that you're not good at it. To the, to the contrary. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. Okay. Thank you. And everybody and everybody likes humility, so I I, I think you're just you're being humble, which is also nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So uh, I remember in our conversation last time you mentioned uh, that you learned the importance of serving the customers the right way from your father uh, mm-hmm. a lot. Could you talk a bit about that, so if, if you could recollect some stories that he told you or something specifically that he said about how things work? Sure. Um, 
I would say that my dad is also customer obsessed, and uh, and I always loved hearing you know his business stories when I was a kid. He started his own business. He started mm-hmm. a telephone service. He was the first competitor in France of uh, France Telecom with a company called Telegroup. Oh, okay. And and um, and one of his at, at first he was just uh, like so much cheaper than France Telecom, and everybody hated France Telecom at the time. It was just easy to get customers in, but obviously that advantage lasts for a while, and then you know you get a lot of other competitors coming in. And rather than trying to compete with all of them on price, mm-hmm. uh, he he made customer support, you know, one of their the most important things for them, and that was uh, one of their big differentiators. And uh, I I can't recall any specific stories, but I just remember the theme of uh, he hired a, a team of, of great customer support people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was you know checking them, uh, making sure that they were doing a good job, and basically he was it. It felt to me like he was always more focused on his customer support team doing a great job rather than focused on on sales and marketing, and uh, and ultimately he was quite successful. So um, that's pretty inspiring for me as well. Okay, cool. So uh, a lot has been said about the importance of customer success o- over the last uh, few years, uh, increasingly, so especially in the SaaS space, because mostly because of. Uh, generous teams and founders that share their learnings and uh, just re-emphasize the importance of it, their writings, their speeches, their keynotes. But for someone who hasn't involved in this sort of an industry or someone who hasn't seen, let's say, in your case, it was your father who believed in it, who has just dealt with brands on a level of exchange. Uh, so when you pay for something and you get it and you're done and they've just dealt with big brands so how should they think about this and what would you instill in their mind about customer success in general Uh, yeah Um, I think there's there's a number of reasons why uh, why it's important Uh, and and, and I'm going to name a few, but obviously there's a lot more than what I'm going to be able to name now. Sure. Uh, I think that there's a study by Bain that shows that uh, it's something between seven and ten, it's mm-hmm. seven, it's between seven and ten times more expensive to acquire new customers than to retain your existing customers. Right, right. So for any type of uh, service or product that people come back and would pay on a periodic basis, mm-hmm. uh, it, it seems like Make, keeping your customers happy so that they come back is a much better investment than trying to go out and find better customers or other customers. Um, also, okay. if you're if, if, for for SaaS, if you're able to uh, be better at retaining your customers, it means each of your customers ultimately spends more money, becomes more valuable, so mm-hmm. they have a higher lifetime value, and therefore it means that you can invest more money in acquiring new customers. So it actually kind of uh, also helps you justify investing in new customers if you know that you're able to retain your existing customers longer. And uh, and I guess the third thing I'd say is that your your retention rate, so how how well you're able to retain your customers, mm-hmm. uh, directly uh, impacts your your overall growth rate and health as a company. So uh, I've I've seen some some graphs of basically if if a company is generating the same amount of new business month on month, so the mm-hmm. same amount of new customers coming in every month. Uh, their retention rate can determine whether or not that company will grow exponentially or just linearly or right. or completely fail. 
So it, it seems like it's, you know, everybody historically has been very focused on sales and marketing because maybe the market was, uh, wasn't as open and, you know, it wasn't as easy to find uh, other products that, that could replace. Mm -hmm. But now I think it's, it's, if it isn't, I think it's become clear to everybody that uh, retaining your customers and keeping them happy uh, is the key to, to growing and to having a healthy business. Right, right. So speaking even of if, even in shops, like it for for every every business. True. So sp speaking of uh, markets, you are in a market where there's uh, Wufu and the Server Monkey and the School Forum, forms and all, all successful at what they do and sort of in the same space. So yeah. how do you think about competition and uh, being in such a space? Great question. Um, so I'll, I'll share with you two, two ways that I look at it. Uh, the first thing is when I joined Typeform, or when I was looking at joining Typeform, two years ago there were only 15 of us. And uh, at first I was kind of thinking, you know, forms, that's not, that's not very sexy. <laughs> and uh, and I, don't, I don't know of anybody who spends a lot of money on forms. Uh -huh. But knowing that there's a survey monkey out there, there's also a Qualtrics, uh, there's, there's some basically $2 billion businesses that, are, that do forms and surveys uh, was kind of reassuring to me that mm -hmm. this is a big market and mm -hmm. uh, and if we have a, a nice edge then we can uh, make some good you know grow a big and healthy business from it okay. uh, but the other side the way we look at it now that I'm at Typeform mm -hmm. uh, one of our values is compete with yourself mm -hmm. and we really we take that very literally, we, we're not looking at what SurveyMonkey does or Wufu or Google Forms um, or Qualtrics. What we're focused on is being the best that we can be. Um, mm -hmm. So we don't look at them at what features they're developing, what, what their pricing is, any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and part of it is also we want to become more than just, uh, we want to be perceived as more than just a form or survey builder. Because Typeforms are so uh, beautiful and so engaging, mm -hmm. uh, people have used it to do much more than what people would generally do with a form or survey builder. So people build applications with Typeform, uh, <laughs> workflows, all, all sorts of really cool stuff. And uh, and the way we're we're, we're start, still figuring out exactly how we're going to communicate with that with the market. Uh -huh. But one of the ideas now is is to have a tool that you can create scalable conversations. Okay. So. It's like having a conversation with someone because it's a good interaction. It's one question at a time, like a normal conversation, mm -hmm. but have that in a scalable way, which I think is much more inspiring mm -hmm. than just saying we're another form builder. So, so part of that's also part of the reason why we're not looking at competitors. We're trying to think of uh, how we can do something different. Uh huh. Okay. So you you did mention you came in uh, jo joining quite early. So you were in you were probably the fifteenth or the sixteenth employee. At, uh, That's right. At, uh, type form. So uh, Scott Belsky, the founder of Behance, has uh, this this uh, quote where he says, "Some new products seem especially compelling, simply because they have yet to face and make the difficult decisions." And yeah. that, that that is true for a lot of products. And as as you join Typeform already, I'm sure you've witnessed quite a few of those decisions being uh, made. So, could you talk about a few of them and uh, also how you drove through them? Sure. Thanks. Um, there's, 
there's a lot of tough decisions. There's a lot of decisions when uh, when we make them at the time. It it really sometimes it really feels like it's a make or break for the business. Uh-huh. But then looking back on it, it it's, you know it's it wasn't actually such a big deal. <laughs> like, yeah, it's 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 weird, but that's that's the way I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big decisions that we've made actually relatively recently is rather than focus on continuing to build on our existing platform mm-hmm. uh, to shift and to basically. Uh, rebuild a new platform. Um, I, I, we, we, we haven't launched it yet. It's going to be another several months before we do. So I can't tell you too much details. And the truth is, I, okay. I we're not exactly sure what what we're going to launch when. <laughs> but basically, um, a lot of a lot of uh, companies uh, have the same issue. They they when they start, they build something really quickly. And uh, and it's not kind of such a robust uh, platform. Mm-hmm. And then you build and build on it. And then you have uh, we have 1.5 million users, so you have tons of users in it. And uh, and things are breaking, and it's hard to build on top of it because it's not it wasn't structured in a in, in a way that's uh, you know conducive to to building a big platform on top of it. Okay. So I think a tough decision was rather than trying to continue to to, to build and to add the features that we know our customers want. Uh-huh. Uh, um, to to understand that we should put that on hold and think longer term and build something that we know is robust and that will um, that will be great for us in in the longer term. So it's kind of like a short term versus long term decision. Which um, okay. I think we that I think that that's a big decision for our business uh, because we know our our growth could have been higher if we continue to build new stuff. Mm-hmm. But we think that uh, it's better to invest now for the for the future. Right. Uh, that's that's a decision that comes to mind because it's it's one that we did recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Then there's other there's other smaller decisions, but uh, uh, generally the way we look at it, and I heard this quote from Google as well, is yeah. uh, we, sh- we should always be optimizing for the customer experience, and uh, and so when we have that value in mind, then it makes decisions a lot easier because uh, even if something is better for our revenue targets, mm-hmm. um, we 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 take it. We take into account first uh, the impact it'll have on our on our users. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, the, when when you were talking about the market as well, you said there are two lenses to look at it. One is that there are a lot of companies and they're successful, so that sort of validates for you the the, the opportunity clearly. And uh, the second lens to look at it was based on uh, the value of building something that isn't out there and something that that people do more with a simple interface. So, uh, and then you again spoke spoke about values. So values, of course, you could say the, the source of these values is usually founding members or early employees. And a way, it's, it's a way of thinking. So how does it cascade through to teams as a company starts growing? Is it something, that's in the air and you're supposed to pick it up and you see when decisions are being made or there is something else, something deliberate at work, at least from your experience. Great question. Uh, yeah, I can only speak from my experience. Sure. Uh, um, and in, in our case, it evolved. Uh, at first, it was something that was just there and you had to feel it and uh, adjust to it and we didn't know how to, to describe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's funny because at first we did it for hiring. So we, we realized, okay, what, 
you know, what, what is our culture? Because we want to hire people that are a good culture fit, but what's, what's the most important things to us? Mm-hmm. And we looked around to the people that, you know, were successful in our, in our company and the people that we liked working with, mm-hmm. and we chose three things, which were uh, humble, okay. passionate, and smart. Okay. Those okay. are the three things that when, when we're looking to hire somebody, they need to have those three qualities. Um, and then we realized, okay, but uh, the next level is uh, how, do we, how do we work and how do we make decisions, as you said. And so we came up with a lot of, uh, a, a number of uh, values, which we're constantly refining. Okay. In fact, we have a company off-site in October where we're going to be working on that. Um, and so out of that comes, you know, compete with yourself, which, which is good because it means we're not competing with competition. We're also not competing with other people within our teams or within the company. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and, and trying to, you know, make that one of our values. Okay. Um, one one of my favorite ones is uh, we have one that says user, users, which is crossed out, and instead it says humans. So it's it's a, a value of our company to focus on people that are using Typeform as human beings who have problems who are trying to solve solve something and create something great with Typeform, mm-hmm. rather than just just another user. Okay. And uh, so th- there's a there's a number of values like that that kind of guide the way we we perceive our business and the way we make decisions. Right, right. So uh, I remember the story of uh, the the two founders, uh, Typeform, uh, the founders attending a conference where where they first heard about this uh, idea of customer success. So mm-hmm. I have two questions based on that because the based on their visit is when you mm-hmm. ended up adopting uh, customer success as as something that you wanted to focus on. So the first first question is. Was it the first time that you heard about this too? And uh, second, is that how a lot of decisions get made based on rapid conversations? Because great question. Yeah. Um, yeah so our, our founders found out about customer success at a conference organized by one of our investors at uh-huh. Point Nine Capital, okay. in which uh, the now chief customer officer of Vend, whose name is uh, Sharad Mohan. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, presented and made a really compelling case for customer success. Uh, they they were very impressed. They came back from the conference, asked Sharad to give uh, like a little workshop for our team. Uh-huh. Brought brought me in at the time in charge of sales, our okay. head of marketing, and our head of support. And uh, he presented to us, and and uh, it, it was the first time I heard of this customer success concept, which was uh, much more proactive and. Um, and and it, it was very organized. I, I, I really liked the way Sharad uh, presented it, and and I thought this is really cool. But uh, I'm in sales, so you know, lucky uh, person in charge of support who gets to you know build this out. Okay. Uh, but then the CEOs gave me the opportunity to or offered me the opportunity to, to switch from sales to customer success, uh-huh. and and I jumped on it. Uh, it's I, I saw it as you know as I was mentioning earlier, one of those tools that'll make me. Uh, better in a better position in the future to to be a better professional, like to to learn this new discipline, and um, so that's how I got into customer success, mm-hmm. and and that's how we as Typeform decided to to get into it. Uh-huh. Uh, this, your second question was about uh, if we make a lot of decisions in that way. Yeah. I think the answer is yes, and I think the reason that the answer is yes is because uh, our CEOs are are very. Smart and humble and passionate, <laughs> you know the, the three things that I mentioned. <laughs> but okay. uh, 
but they're, they're humble in that they don't think that they know everything and that they know how everything should, should work. So it, it, it does happen frequently that they'll speak to uh, either an investor or another you know, CEO or something like that and come back and say, hey, I hadn't thought about this, but we, sh you know, we should probably invest in, in you know, uh, changing our strategy for this and, and that way. Mm -hmm. um, a recent example was for our um, marketing growth team. Okay. Uh, the, our strategy used to be we had a, a lot of different writers and they were writing for their own channels and they weren't really unified. And now, after speaking to um, a guy who had experience at, at Prezi and at Envision, mm -hmm. uh, who, who gave us the advice of putting it all together, creating one centralized um, big piece of content mm -hmm. that then you share through all the different channels in different ways, uh, which seems like it'll be much more powerful. So that's another example of how we changed the strategy based on a conversation with one person who inspired us to, to, <laughs> to improve. Okay, yeah, that, that is fascinating. Uh, because you end up having a lot of filters, then uh, you catch on to ideas and uh, those filters are in terms of questions, like am I acting mm -hmm. on it too fast? Or is it is it just that it, there's a subjective lens and it appeared like a great idea to me? And mm -hmm. will it really work for us? And uh, yeah. all of that. So yeah, we do face such questions ourselves. Yeah. So yeah, thanks. So from from that point on, you've uh, you've uh, come a long way. So now you have like fifteen members in your team. No, twenty five. Twenty five. Yeah. Twenty five. Twenty five. So you've uh, and you've structured your team as you've mentioned before, in five pillars. So mm -hmm. what are those pillars and what's the thinking behind them? Sure, so uh, the customer success team at, at Typeform is, uh, is structured in, we have a, a team called, in, in those pillars, so customer support, uh -huh. uh, another one is customer experience, uh, we have another one that's education, okay. uh, account, account management, and uh, I'm just starting to build a, a sales team also for a type form, which will okay. probably eventually break out of, of my control. We'll probably hire a, a VP of sales at some point. But okay. in any case, right now it's it's all those five, which is nice because it gives me like the holistic, uh, continuous like view of, of customers from the sales to uh, support to account management, et cetera. Uh, why is it structured that way? Uh, because I, I like having uh, people focused on specific tasks and specific mm -hmm. metrics. Okay. So each pillar has their own uh, mission statement and their own KPIs that measure their performance. So um, for support, for example, mm -hmm. uh, their KPI is first response time, uh, customer satisfaction rating, and cost to serve. And then customer experience is doing all of our one-to-many communication uh, with our customers, so all the onboarding, and, and they're also doing our customer voice, so they're tracking all of the metrics that um, that we get from our customers through all the different channels, mm -hmm. aggregating all that information and identifying trends and then feeding that back to our marketing team, uh, to our product team so that they can, so that we also influence them to make the right decisions for our customers. Right. Um, our education team, uh, their KPI is more uh, ticket deflection and uh, also SEO because we get a lot of traffic through our help center. Mm -hmm. uh, and then account management is does something similar to our customer experience team, but one to one. Okay. So so they engage with our higher value customers and they try to make them uh, successful. And then we also have uh, the sales team, which um, the, the angle I'm trying to set up the sales team with is to 
uh, as, as I was mentioning earlier, not to be pushing customers into mm -hmm. deals, but rather pulling them into deals, which is a very subtle difference, but I hope that it'll like, uh, it'll right. work better and that you know, we never want to be pushy. We just want to show the value and let the customers come to us as opposed to the other way around. Right, right. So, you, okay, again, you spoke about how, how you think about planning and organizing and metrics and, and KPIs. <laughs> So, uh -huh. uh, and you've been working for around 14 years now, so since 2002, mm -hmm. I suppose. So, uh -huh. were there things that you were doing back then in terms of uh, thinking about work and life, say in terms of reading, in terms of meeting certain people that have uh, somehow influenced where you're thinking or where you yourself have ended up, if you look at it in hindsight? Great question. Um, I mean, everything uh, influences me in different ways. I do think my dad, when I was uh, just out of university, uh, gave me a, a sales book to read, which I thought was really fascinating. It, it showed me that sales was not just a soft skill that like mm -hmm. a lot of people associated with, like a used car sales guy who's like going there and schmoozing people. Right. Uh, uh, there's a science behind it, and uh, and there's you know a process that you can follow to be more successful and to be more methodological and to not, not waste your time with the wrong people. Uh -huh. So, it it um, I think that really opened my mind to to stuff that you know I I just didn't realize because I was just I, not just I was a mechanical engineer and I had never kind of. Uh, studied or thought of the the business side of things, so that maybe sparked my interest in in the business side of things. Okay. Um, I think also uh, this this is not the the right thing to to do, but uh, to or to but I'll say it anyways. I think um, when I was a mechanical engineer, mechanical engineer in London, yeah. I was financially I was kind of just getting by, and I wasn't. Okay. I wasn't satisfied with that, and I had friends in finance who were doing much more than just getting by, okay. and uh, and so that was also something that made me feel like, okay, I need to break out of this. I need to figure out how to how to get to the to the next level too, and to you know to be more comfortable financially. So that also kind of pushed me to rethink, to realize that uh, engineering, you're selling your your time, you're, you're basically it's your hours, because yeah, I was in an engineering consulting firm, and that's not scalable. There's only so many hours I can work a day. Mm -hmm. And um, and I felt like you know tech is something much more scalable that that I could grow in and and uh, and it turns out I love tech so it's it's a great match but um, mm -hmm. that's also maybe what pushed me a little bit to uh, to challenge myself to do more and to do better. Okay, okay. I don't know if it's really the answer you were looking for, but uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, I think we're getting there. So I have a following question. You yeah. mentioned that. Another thing that you learned when you were young was uh, the idea of being proactive about mm -hmm. things. And That's right. uh, so, if you just tell somebody to be okay, you got to be proactive. You got to be doing this this way. As in, uh, is that enough? How, how would you break it down for someone? As in, the, the importance of uh, taking a lead. It's a great point. Um, I think so. I, be, being proactive is is uh, is very important because it's it allows you to effectively get what you want uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to what other people are willing to 
to give you or, or wherever the wind blows you. Uh, I think um, in, in my personal experience, uh, I was I, I was telling you uh, before that um, when I moved to London, I had uh, worked as an engineer for a yeah. few years and started my own little business right. that I sold, but I didn't have a, a profile that was very appealing to, to any potential employer. Okay. Uh, and I, I found out because I applied to about 500 jobs and, and didn't get any offers. <laughs> so. Um, so then I decided, okay, well, uh, instead of reactively, you know, applying to a job that's there that I know other people are applying to, mm -hmm. I'm going to be proactive and go out and and find opportunities where I feel like I could be potentially well suited for. So because I spoke several languages, I looked for international firms. Because I had a mechanical engineering degree, I looked for you know people that look that had engineering, mm -hmm. and and ultimately because I was I effectively. Uh, I didn't cold call, but I cold emailed uh, a bunch of companies that fell into that category. That's how I ended up uh, getting my job uh, in London. Okay. And uh, and since then, because that worked, it really it's it's the advice I give to everybody um, of, of how to go about job searching, and um, and it's also what I apply to myself. When I moved to Barcelona, I, I did the same thing. I I went out and proactively networked. So when I moved to Barcelona, I was thinking, what would be the coolest job that I could possibly get, mm -hmm. and of course, uh, that would be working for FC Barcelona. I thought <laughs> so. Oh, okay. I, I went Did you on LinkedIn. I, I actually they didn't have any job offers. Otherwise, I'm sure they would get like a million applications. <laughs> so what I did is I went on LinkedIn and I just searched FC Barcelona and I found a bunch of people that were worked for FC Barcelona and I requested to connect with each and every single one of them, <laughs> and then. Um, and then like uh, six or seven accepted my request, which was awesome. Okay. So then I, I, I crafted an email and I sent it to each of those. And then uh, only one of them, but one of them actually accepted to get on a call with me and, uh, and basically tell me that there was no chance uh, for me to get a job with FC Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but it was, you know, that, that's what I'm talking about, of being proactive and, uh, and going after what you want and thinking, yeah. you know, what's, what's my ideal instead of kind of, Instead of thinking about what just comes on your plate, rather like what would be the ideal thing that I wanna that I wanna get and try to go after that because um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, we're moving towards uh, a close here. So mm -hmm. and I have two final questions for you. So one is about events and certain events that end up changing how we think about our own abilities and the world and they, they just make us look at things differently. I think it was uh, the journalist and the cultural critic H.L. Mencken who said that discovering Mark Twain was the most stupendous event of his life. Uh, I think it was at age nine or something. So what do you regard as the most uh, stupendous event in your life, if there is one, or events? Great question. Um, I guess th th there's there's several because um, you know every I've, I've had a lot of twists and turns in my career and each one was kind of triggered by something like that I would say um, mm -hmm. but if I had to just narrow it down to one or two I would say uh, getting the company that I worked for in London to sponsor my MBA and, and getting an MBA okay. was uh, was massive because it means it meant that I didn't have to 
uh, be indebted <laughs> when I finish my MBA, which is nice. <laughs> and uh, but but more importantly, it gave me I, I I did that MBA and it gave me the the tool that I needed to to get to the next step of where I wanted to be, which is uh, and and now I'm really pleased with with where I'm now. Um, mm-hmm. Then obviously after the MBA, you have to actually get the first job, and that's not so easy because you have to convince somebody that even though you don't have the experience doing some a specific thing, that they should trust you because you have an MBA and because you want to get there. So uh, I was really fortunate in uh, in Tel Aviv, which is where I went after my MBA, to get a job in a, a like a, a SaaS uh, business, mm-hmm. um, where I started in implementations and then uh, evolved into being VP sales ultimately, oh. and. Uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot of what a company should do. I also learned a lot about what companies shouldn't do, and uh, and it really kind of put me on the path. So I would say that it was the MBA and the switch to uh, working in SaaS that that's the pivotal point in in my in my career overall. Okay. And, then, and with at, at Typeform, it's obviously it's very clearly to me like when the CEOs uh, offered for me to get into customer success, and I think. Uh, you know, maybe 10 years down the line, that'll probably be the biggest pivotal point for me because I really enjoy customer success much more than I would have enjoyed a career in just in, in sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I'm really grateful for them for giving me that opportunity and, um, and I'm doing my best to make the most of it. Okay. And, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm lucky now I get to speak to people like you, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, so. <laughs> right. So well, uh, thank you. That's that's a compliment. Say, uh, okay. So uh, another question is that the, you've been talking about changes and how you've looked at them. So one is through the lens of ambition, and the other is through the lens of opportunity. So, mm-hmm. what was the last thing that you changed your mind about? The last thing, like the yeah. most recent thing, I changed my mind about. Yeah, something important, something that you really believed in, and uh, but you did change your mind about it. Um. Well, I guess something that comes to mind uh, pretty recently was uh, a sales candidate that we had that um, I interviewed, and re- I really liked him. Um, but then uh, our, our CEO maybe wasn't quite as uh, as convinced as I was, and we had a few more interactions with him, and uh, and then I realized that you know he he wasn't the best cultural fit, and it took the CEO to explain that to me, and mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that at the beginning I was saying okay this is going to be this is our first sales guy he's going to be he's going to be great. Um, I I changed my mind, uh, influenced by our CEO, uh, who who kind of opened my eyes to this, saying, you know, he's not the right cultural fit for these reasons, and uh-huh. um, and I agreed with him. So, okay, I, I think that was something that that was a big decision because our first sales hire is is a really big uh, decision. Uh, now we now we have our first sales hire, and I'm really pleased that uh, we we said no to this other guy, who I'm sure will have a great career in sales. But uh, the the woman that we hired instead is the right cultural fit. So it, it's worthwhile having the patience and and uh, to find really great, amazing people to build mm-hmm. a great and amazing uh, team rather than kind of uh, someone that's not 100% the right fit. So okay, okay, uh, great. That's 
Yeah. Right, I'm going to ask you an extra question, okay? I, <laughs> I, I requested for two, but I know you're too kind. So we'll we get, we get one more answer. Right, just, 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 just final one. So this, uh, I've been thinking about this. The more we embrace technology, the lesser we get to speak with people. And businesses, ever since they've existed, There, the, the norm has been that, of course, you have to be able to speak with people and you have to be able to connect to them. And for for people who are coming in into the working world now with a certain mindset about how they look at the world, there's as in there's always a screen between us and the people. And you've you've held jobs even where so you were, you were a mechanical engineer, but you were still talking to people. And mm-hmm. that that ends up being uh, uh, some some there's some sort of a resistance in a lot of people in figuring out how to do that. So going back to the point of small talk, so what would you tell someone about understanding people? As in, have you learned something? Is yeah. there is there is there an operating principle? How do you think about this? Well, I, I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I'll, just, I'll just I'll I'll, sh- I'll share whatever thoughts come to my mind now, and okay, and may regret later, but we'll see. Uh, in, in any case, um, I think that um, so I, I think the best way to understand people is to yeah. know a lot of different types of people. Okay. Um, I you know until my dad was successful in business, I I I basically I had different types of friends, different social groups, different economic groups, different races, different religions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in the U.S., I grew up in France, uh, and I went to an international school where there were, you know, Spanish, Norwegian, Japanese, uh, Russian, etc. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that uh, that opened my mind to realizing that uh, at the end of the day, nobody's really right, nobody's really wrong. Everybody has uh, an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Everybody has something to bring to you that you don't know or that you weren't aware of or, or a new perspective. And if you, I think if you treat people with that level of uh, respect, understanding that you know, uh, a lot of people think that they know everything or you know, think that uh, other people might not have much to bring to them or, mm-hmm. or generalize too easily about uh, a specific group of people. I think if, if you're open to that and you're you genuinely believe that you can learn stuff from everybody, then okay. it makes all the conversations much more engaging and, and much more genuine. So I would kind of say, um, uh, realize that you're not, you know, I don't know. I, I'd have to okay. think more about what message I would give to millennials. Right. Okay. But I think that's, that's one of the things that I really strongly believe in. Mm-hmm. There's This is not scientific at all, but I know that there's a study that was done that says that you only use 20% of your brain. Mm-hmm. So... I think that everybody has the capacity to to surprise me, basically, and, and to and I don't think the difference between one person to the next uh-huh. is so big in terms of brain capacity. I think it's more the way we were yeah. raised, the way we were educated, okay. and, uh, and and also luck of the draw. I have some friends who grew up in tougher situations with more difficult families who haven't had the the luxuries that I've had of uh, certain educations I've had. So right. Right. Um, okay, but with the, asking them the right questions, I can still learn a lot from, cool. from them. Right, 
Thanks. don't know. That was a little bit of a of a, of a brain fart, but, <laughs> but hopefully, we'll okay, well, it wasn't me. I, I think that that sums up how you think about this, and uh, in uh, a true sense. So yeah, and that's that is a good way to look at it for people who are coming up, right? Thanks, David. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for sharing uh, all your thoughts and learnings and uh, tough decisions that you made uh, so far. I wish that the journey at Typeform just goes on. You guys do even better. Uh, I'm a fan. I uh, like the work that you guys do. And that's perhaps one reason why Typeform ends up in quite a few of uh, the posts that I write. And uh, it, it, especially if it is about design and experience. So it, it's just somehow that is the first name that comes up. Uh, so great job there. And uh, you, you're bringing in a great point when you say human instead of uh, calling everyone users. And mm -hmm. that is also reflected in how you think about the world and people. So mm -hmm. uh, just just uh, keep keep doing the great work. Well, thank thank you very much, and and thanks a lot for having me today. I'm really flattered that you asked me to to participate, and uh, and I really enjoyed it. So thanks a lot. Thank you, David. Have a good day. Thanks you too. Thanks for listening. So, how do you obsess over your customers? How do you think about the value of small talk? And what was the most stupendous event in your life? Tell me all about it. Also, this conversation reminded me of something that David Foster Wallace had said. And I'm going to leave you with that. He said, The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and effort. And being able truly to care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in myriad petty little unsexy ways every day. So I'll see you in the next episode. Till that time, keep living the questions. Thank you.